0: If you have your Bibles, please open with me to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to only focus on one verse today, uh, verse 7. That's going to be our main text. For those that are visiting, cross-references will be up on the screen on the side so you can follow that. Let's open in prayer. Father, again, we thank you for this time. Lord, you reign upon the just and the unjust. We know that you rain your blessings upon both. And today we ask that you would rain your blessings upon your word. We're thankful that your word does not come back void. We look to you to speak to our hearts, to stir us, to redirect us if we need redirecting, to comfort us if we need comfort or assurance. Lord, it's you that we look to It's you that we want to hear, and it's you that we depend upon. And all God's people said, Amen. I titled the message today, The Work of Faith. Now, it's not working for salvation, but faith works in each of us. And the world should recognize there's something different about us. See, the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and works in us the holy spirit sanctifies our life changes us and transforms us but the wonderful thing that happened is i realized that god is continuing to work in me and he's continuing to work in you if you stay under the word if you simply believe him and trust him at what he says See, today we're going to see what that work of faith looks like in Hebrews 11.1. Notice what it says. Now faith is assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Every person who is a believer knows there's a God. Not only do they know they're a God when they're going through difficult times, they know it's God that's holding them, sustaining them, keeping them. It's God's love reaching out to them when they feel unloved. They learn, as David did in the Old Testament, to go to God when they feel discouraged. And they encourage themselves in the Lord by looking at the Lord. Because he's assured us that he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And he's the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The writer here distinguishes, though, biblical faith. See, true faith is not vague, wishful thinking. It's certainty. It's certainty that God will do, will deliver, exactly what he said. It's assurance, knowing, not a question, not a doubt. That when you and I, as believers, close our eyes in this world, for example, you know that you will open your eyes up and you will behold the beauty of the Lord. That your loved ones that have gone before you, that you will see them. That all things work for the good, for those who love the Lord and call according to his purpose. Whether you see it or understand it, you know that God does not lie. You can trust in it You can rest in it. Faith here looks forward to the the future. The future that is unseen in the realities, but we hope, we know it's it's not maybe. It's a confident hope. It's a future-directed faith. Not a conjecture. Not a blind leap into the darkness and, and hope. But there's a perfect peace and looking forward with anticipation and excitement. So the author describes that this faith, this is biblical faith, remember, has this assurance and conviction. And this is what we're going to see because when a person has that assurance, a person has that conviction, it will affect the way they live. This is important to understand. A person who believes God will live according to God. Will be concerned with the very word itself and want to honor God. They become, as Romans 12 talks about, a living sacrifice. They no longer live for themselves. They learn to deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow him daily. If he says go... They go. They're confident. Even when persecution comes, they're not fearful. If you've seen things coming through from the Middle East, there are news that that really record what is happening around the world for Christians as well as non-Christians. And not willing to deny the faith. In fact, they know where they're going. They're willing to lay down their life. See, when God gets a hold of your heart, when he grasps your heart, there is a change. Not just in the outward action, not in just holding back what you might have said before, but a total change in attitude, change in a lifestyle, change in our hopes, our future. And we're going to see how that work of faith looks and how the world looks at that faith. Because Jesus said that you are the light, the light unto the world, you are the salt, the salt unto the earth, and our lives are to affect the others. So if it's not doing that, then there's something wrong with our faith. Sometimes we've been tainted by the teaching. Sometimes we misinterpreted it. Sometimes we fail just to move forward and grasp the faith. Believe the promises of God. Sometimes some have gone after gifts, signs and wonders and not after Jesus. That's why we say it's all about Jesus. He's the one that we're pressing on for. He's the one that we're dependent upon. He's the one that will fulfill every promise. Look with me, First Peter 1, verse 8 and 9. It says, although you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy, inexpressible, full of glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Not just salvation for eternity, salvation of our souls, being purified, changed, transformed, that assurance. I'm not the same person. You're not the same person you used to be. And the world sees that. That's very, very important. Peter talks about be ready to give a reason for the hope that lies within. See, if they see that change, they want to know what is it? Why do you believe what you believe? Why do you act the way you act? Why do you step back from things that you used to laugh at and enjoy? There's a change in you. You used to lash out in anger. But now there's a peace. There's a joy. Be ready to give a reason for the hope that lies within. That is verbally. But see, what they've done is they've seen the change in your life. Are you the same person you were when you got saved? Are you the same person you were last year? These are good questions that we need to, to really sit and, and say, Lord, am I, am I growing in you? Lord, I, I, I need to know, is there something in my life that I need to change? Am I not seeking and pressing in to you? Am I not taking the time and be still and know that you are God? It's when you decide to sit and wait or simply just depend upon God. He's there. He's been waiting for you to listen. Waiting for you to call upon him. And that's something that we need to do because if we do, then we will experience that fullness of joy, that abundant joy That Jesus talks about in the scripture. Now the mention of Noah. In our text that we're going to see in a moment. Immediately brings to mind. The great flood. Most everyone in the world has heard about the flood. Even if they don't know the Bible. Because in every culture there's this talk of this great flood. The ark which was preserve Noah and through the flood. In every culture, they'll have something similar to that when they see this flood. They, they'll talk about some people that were saved. Maybe it was from a missionary that went into the area and shared, and, and they've kind of just passed it on from generation to generation, but they know. Our text tells us why Noah was different than the rest of the world. Noah was an example of faith and it was all centered around and upon the construction of the ark. See, Noah, Noah's thought life was centered upon what God had said, what God had told him. And therefore his life centered around upon this ark that he was to build. It demonstrated his faith. It was a work of faith because It never had rained in the world. They had no idea what rain was. The water came up from the ground like a mist and watered everything. The concept of a flood was not there in their mind. The people laughed. The people mocked. But Noah acted in faith. Because God had spoken. And I want to ask you a question, and it's it's not for you to answer me, but have you ever heard God speak? I'm not talking about audibly, but when you're reading the word, when you're hearing a message, whether it be here, or the radio, or wherever it would be, have you heard God speak to you about something in your life? And to be like Noah means that you hear and then you act upon. See, that's what Noah did. He heard God speak, and he acted upon. He trusted him at his word. He believed him at his word. He said it, it was good enough. And he kept building the ark no matter what anybody else thought. Year after year after year. We'll talk about it in a moment that he was a preacher of righteousness for 120 years in building that ark one way he was preaching through his actions, and second would be his literal words. And not one convert, except for his own family. There's several in the Bible much like that. They spend their life serving the Lord, being obedient to the Lord. Never really see the fruit Jeremiah was one, if you remember, the weeping prophet. Oh, Jeremiah, if you go through the book and all that he went through. Yet he continued to keep his focus upon what God had called him to do, no matter what it was. Never really saw a convert, but many had been converted because of that book that's recorded in the years to come. See, you and I don't always see what God is doing. And sometimes it takes a while before we see. And it's sometimes in hindsight when we look back. Noah was preserved in face of the ridicule, the opposition. He was faithful to God. He carried out his task that God had given him. And this was his testimony, a great testimony of faith. And each of us should have a testimony of a faith, not just what God has done in our lives, that I was blind, but now I see, but there's a change in life. God is showing you something, and you continue on. Through the years, you probably heard, as I have God told me to do this and God told me to do that and God told me to do that and they contradict each other. God told me to divorce my husband, divorce my wife and yet God hates it. There are many that want to hear God and and they have a different God, not a God of the Bible because whatever God would say, it would always line up with the Bible. Noah heard God. And he was faithful, even when it didn't make sense. And that's really the first message for you and me is, will we be faithful? Will we put our hand to the plow and not turn back? When the world begins to dump upon us, begin to attack us verbally, will we go back to what we know about God, God? is love. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, whosoever believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Will we go back and think about that? Will we think about the fact that he's called us to do something? And that's so important in our walk. But I go back to what God has said. Sometimes we need to write it down, make notes upon it. But will we remember what God has told us, and will we be faithful to what he has called us to do? 2 Peter two five says this, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought the flood upon the world of the ungodly. God preserved Noah and seven. Not because of what Noah did, but because of their action, what they saw in Noah, and the words that he shared. No one else got saved. When the flood came, God closed the door. Noah didn't close the door. Now, let me ask you a question. If you were like, say, put in that situation of of Noah, and if only your family got saved, would that be worth it? Oh, I think so. Above all things, to have your family, your mom, your dad, your kids, your aunties, your uncles. It's worth it. But more than that, and that's wonderful. To know that you're pleasing unto God. That you hear those words, good and faithful servant. God always honors faith. And sometimes that's what happens when you're in the middle of God's will. Things appear to go wrong around you. Because it wants to discourage you from keeping your focus upon what God has called you to do. But if you put your hand to the plow and not turn back, God... You will experience God's faithfulness to you. Well, first of all, in verse seven, we see His warning. Hebrews eleven seven. By faith Noah, being warned by God about the things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for salvation of the household. Now, notice His salvation of the household and. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, when you're talking about salvation, it's not talking about eternal salvation. It's just talking about physical salvation. Save from this or save from that. They didn't have the concept that you and I have. The Lord reveals a little bit at a time. We're not ready for it. There's a warning. Being warned by God. And I love that. I've always hung on to that. There's always warning before wrath. The world may not pay attention. But as believers, we're aware. A believer will not say, well, it'll be 500 years from now, or it'll be this or that, and make excuse. God's given a warning. He gives us a warning that we would be Ready. Are you ready to meet your maker today? That's really what it's all about. Are you ready to meet your maker today? He may have given you a vision of something to do and you're acting it out in faith. You'll be rewarded for it, even if he comes and takes you down because you were faithful to do what he's called you to do. See, the difference between Noah and the rest of the world was simply faith. Noah... Believed God. Do you have friends that are unbelievers? I'm sure you do. Do they believe in God? And I would say yes in some senses. Their God is the plants. Their God is the land. Their God is something. But not always the God of the Bible. Sometimes it's a God, a created being. God is created just like you and me. Noah knew God. He heard God. He obeyed God. Noah had faith to believe God and took him at his word. See, this is a great faith. The Bible doesn't call it great, but I'm going to say it's always a great faith when you hear God and you act in faith. Because so many do not act in faith. There are those that, well, I wonder if that's God. And they spend the rest of their life throwing a fleece out before God, trying to figure out whether it's God. When God speaks, he will speak in such a way that you know it is him. He'll speak through his word, he'll speak through a brother or a sister in a normal conversation about something you've been praying about. Supernaturally, he'll speak through a a friend. They won't even know. They'll be saying something, and you know it's exactly what you've been praying about. Supernaturally, naturally, God speaks through dreams, through visions, through his word, through people. But people oftentimes read a lot of things in that's not of God and it doesn't line up with the very God of the scripture. If you know God, he will make it clear, this is him. The people of Noah's day were extremely wicked. And I think that we're coming to that point in this world today. The evil is becoming darker, more evil, more prevalent, more open, not ashamed of it. Right is wrong and wrong is right. You know, you've seen it. They provoked God of heaven to an anger that he would judge the world. Let me read from Genesis Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. And it says, then the Lord, stop there for a second. Notice, whenever you see the word Lord, and it's all in caps, this is the covenant God. This is Yahweh. This is the creator God. So it's saying here, then the Lord, the covenant God, saw the wickedness of man was great upon the earth, and every intent of his thoughts, of his heart, was only on evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. And he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land. for the man, uh, From the man to the animals, the creeping things, the birds of the sky. For I'm sorry that I've made them. God had to purge the earth is what he's saying. It was so bad. Now remember when the children of Israel would come into the promised land, God was patient, he was long-suffering. The children of Israel stayed in Israel for 430 years. 30 years under Joseph, 400 years, they were under, again, a persecution, let's say. Until the sin of the Amorites was complete. And then they would have to go in the land and they would have to purge the land. And if you don't purge the land, you will become like them. You will do the things they do. You know what they did? They did many horrible things and God had to judge them. See, the Lord's sorrow doesn't indicate this change uh, of mind the way that you and I might. Like husbands and wives sometimes say, well, I don't love them anymore. Love being a commitment. But rather this this different attitude on the part of response, it's to the change of man's behavior. See, the idea is God is, because God is holy, he must judge sin. He must deal with sin. Just as if a dog came into a yard that had rabies and your kids are out there playing in the yard, you would do everything to protect your own child. In his olive discourse, the Lord Jesus used Noah's day to illustrate what it would be like when he returned. Let me read from Matthew 24, verse 37 and 38. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah, for as in those days, the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. The Son of Man, a messianic term. They were going on with their life. They didn't recognize the times, the signs, the warning was going out, but they refused to listen. They didn't dialogue. They didn't ask questions. Well, what do you mean? No, they just continue to eat and drink, marry and give in marriage. And these things are not wrong in themselves. But it's saying that they occupied on, on this life and this life alone. Well, I love you as brothers and sisters and Lord. I, I love the life that I live as a Christian and sharing studying the word, But it's not about this life. It's about the life to come. It's about bringing the gospel message out. It's about being the light unto the world, the salt unto the earth. It's about being a testimony to a lost world. And these words, what it's speaking about is just the Continue with the regular routines of life with no regard for the future. And much of the church is that way. Is he coming? Well, he's certainly coming. He said it. Is he coming today? I don't know. But I'm ready. Is he coming tomorrow? I don't know. Is he coming next year? I don't know. But I'm ready. We're to recognize the seasons, recognize the times... But not dwell there. In fact, when we recognize these seasons and times, it means we have to get out the word even more so. There's an urgency to pray like we've never prayed. Pray that people's hearts would be open. God would give us opportunities to share and not turn our back upon what's going on. I want to see that last person come in the kingdom. I want to encourage that last thing. To press on there's a lot of saints in the church that are depressed universally they need encouragement they need a call and we can do that see there's a work still here for you and me and, and we need to, to recognize at times but let go of that Be ready and occupy and go about our Father's business until the last moment. That's the work of faith. You and I are called to do a work of faith today. Not just talk about it, but to work out our salvation of fear and trembling. For it's God who's at work in us to will accomplish His good purpose. Well, Noah warned them about the flood coming. They lived as if really they were flood proof. Oh, no, it had never happened. Mock, laugh until the rain came. The waters threatened their life. Perhaps you've heard people, just as I have, that say, you know, I'll wait until the tribulation comes. I'll wait until I see him coming. I don't think so. If a person won't make the decision today, they won't make the decision tomorrow. The book of Revelation, chapter 7, there's what appears to be a revival. 12,000 and 12,000, 12,000 each tribe, 144,000 Jews saved. They go out and, and evangelize. After that, you don't hear people getting saved. All you hear is they will not repent. And they would not repent. And they would not repent. Again and again and again. The older a person gets, the harder his heart becomes to the Lord. And they come to a point of no return. The people outside the ark were therefore unprepared. Outside the the place's safety. They weren't in the middle of God's will. They had not kept themselves in God's will. In fact, they didn't know God. They knew about the God of creation, but they didn't know him. And that's what salvation is about, is knowing God in a very personal way that you hear Him. You obey Him. Even though you haven't seen Him, you love Him. You're dependent upon Him. But they did not know Him. Like our own day, the days of Noah, the sin was out of control. It manifested itself in all manners of sin. And they would not repent. They felt no remorse. They continued to eat and drink and marry and give in marriage and just ignore and put it away. Until it was too late. But Noah, he heard God. He believed God. He did what God said. He obeyed God. That's the work of faith. He was a man of faith who took God seriously and escaped The judgment. Today, when we read the book of Revelation, God calls the church, the church. In chapters 2 and 3, to repent. Five times. Five times. Let me read some and share with you. It says in chapter 2, verse 5, Therefore remember, from where you have fallen, repent, do the deeds you did at first, or else I'm coming to you Remove your lampstand. Your influence is what that's saying unless you repent. The church is losing its influence in this world. You wonder why the church or the the government and the world is the way it is? The the church has lost its influence because they refuse to repent. They've had a message of salvation without confession and repentance. There is no salvation apart from repentance. Repentance. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 3, he says, So remember what you have received and heard, and keep it and repent. See, you hear that call to obedience. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know the hour in which I come. Again, five times he calls the church to repent. Seven churches represent seven church ages. One of these churches has been predominant in each church age. All seven churches, in a sense, in a spiritual sense, are here today. Church of Smyrna, the church of persecution, certainly we know there's a church of persecution. Church of Ephesus was one that was grounded in his doctrine, but it left that first love, and we can go right through the seven churches. There's a need in the church to repent. In fact, Jesus Christ calls again the world to repent. Just like the days of Noah. And these words have been given to you and me, and you know them. You've read them. We need to pray for the opportunity. Look for open hearts. Look to see where God is moving and sharing with people. Listen in Revelation 9, verse 20. And the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the work, works of their hands, so as not to worship demons, idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. They did not repent of their murders, their sorceries, their immorality, their thefts. People are not going to wait till the last minute and receive the Lord. They will not repent. See, now's the time to get the word out before they harden their hearts anymore. They need to see, what they need to see more than anything else is people that love God and love others. They need to see mature Christians. They need to see that work of faith that we we are consumed with God. We're obedient to God. They need to see that we abstain from these sins. And some of these sins in the church are as high as they are in the world. Statistics, statistics keep coming in, and it's alarming. And we're a Christian nation. We need to reevaluate our own choices and decisions. And the purpose of these plagues is to, to wake them up. Revelation 16, verse 9, And the men were scorched with fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has the power over the plagues. They did not repent as to give him glory. Now Revelation 16, 11, it says, And they blasphemed God of heaven because of their pains, their sores, and they would not repent of their deeds. Maybe you've known someone, addiction of alcohol or drugs, and they can't control themselves. Sin is like that; it's it just it's like a cancer, gnaws at you. They become so consumed with sin they can't stop. And I'm encouraging you to protect yourself, your mind, your heart, from these times. To be a light in these times, I like what John G. Butler wrote. He says Noah lived a righteous life in spite of the defilement all around him. Noah's godly life tells us that we can cannot excuse our failures as sinfulness in the society, in society around us. For it is possible, for it is possible to live a godly life even though all around us. It's ungodly people. In a nutshell, he's saying, look, you can live a godly life today. You don't have to be tainted. You don't have to get sucked in. You don't have to hang out with those people that you used to hang out with or watch those things that you shouldn't watch. You simply need to make God the center of your life. Well, there's his work. It's also in verse 7, because that's the main verse we're looking at. By faith, Noah prepared an ark. Noah's work was hard work. Right in the middle of the trial, the opposition, Noah's faith motivated him to work for God. Deuteronomy 8.2 says this. Remember, the long way the Lord your God has made you travel through the wilderness these past 40 years that he might test you by the hardships to learn what is in your hearts and whether you would keep his commandments or not. You know, that applies to you and me. Now, its main context was the children of Israel. but, But, you know, when you're going through difficult times and the world is just, you know, trying to conform us to this world, it's not that God doesn't know. God wants you to know. In that day of judgment, you will stand either before him at the beam of and rewards, or you will stand at that white throne judgment and be judged because you rejected the true and living God. Don't Noah. He took what God said and he began to work it out in his life. He began to do exactly what God said. Genesis 7, 5 says, Noah did according to all the Lord had commanded him. I, I, I like that. I was sitting there and puzzling, Lord, I would like to think that I do everything according to what you tell me to do. But I can't say that. One day I will be able to, by the grace of God. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. This is a time that he is sanctifying you, making you holy, and you have a a decision. Will you trust him? Will you keep thrusting yourself upon him? He will finish the work in you and me if you just trust him, if you just believe him and take him at the word, if you just begin to put your hand to the plow and not turn back. This is the key to success of a, a Christian. Simple obedience. But the very littlest thing... If you're faithful today, it's going to be easier to be faithful tomorrow. But if you're not faithful today, it's going to be harder tomorrow. But when you choose to obey the Lord, when you choose to follow the Lord, with all your heart and mind and soul and strength, you will hear those words, good and faithful servant. Obedience is not always easy. You probably figured that out already. But it's always commanded. There's no excuse. You can do all things in Christ who strengthens you. Usually what happens is when we, we cave in, we give in to sin, we know we shouldn't be doing that. And we're kind of going back and forth in our mind. You have to make the decision before you're even in that place, what am i going to do. I don't know how I'm going to react to persecution to come. I know how I would like to react. And I know I need to look to the Lord. And I know that his grace is sufficient at that time. And that's what we need to trust. And we do that one day at a time. It's always a matter of what the old King James says, thus saith the Lord. Lord has spoken. That's what I like about the King James or New American Standard. You know it's speaking directly to you. It's a word for word translation. I like what Eric Alexander said the evidence of knowing God is always obeying God. Always obeying God. And then John Blanchard said this obedience is not the essence of the right relationship with God but it's the evidence of a relationship with God. When a person walks in that obedience, you know they know God. Do people know that you're a Christian? Do you live in such a way that Christ is glorified? Noah is warned by God about those things not yet seen. But he believed God. In fact, he went a little further. Noah did the work. By his work, he warned people that he believed God. And he warned them with his word. Because he's a preacher of righteousness for 120 years. Judgment is coming. Are we warning people today? Maybe maybe someone heard those words of Noah ringing in their minds, and every time he was pounding the hammer, pounding in their mind, but they had determined not to believe, and they would not repent. Noah determined to believe. Noah determined to obey. That's what believers do. We determine to listen hear. And obey. While the world laughed God honored the faith of Noah. I love that. And, and puts his story here that you and I can read almost 6,000 years. Well, it wouldn't be 6,000. Maybe 4,000 years later. Whatever it is, it's amazing. I'd love to see Noah. I'd love to see Moses. But i love for my life to be like them. And I think that starts with all of us, that we want to be like them. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ Jesus. Can we say that in our own lives? Just as Noah was obedient in faith, we should walk in faith, not by sight. Every Christian can you imagine? Every Christian, if we were like Noah, did according to all the Lord commanded, maybe we would once again see a revival. But well, What do you mean? If they didn't repent in Noah's days, but if we lived our life, each one of us, as Noah did, faithful in the church, there would be a revival in the church that our lives would affect the world. We would be the light. We would be the salt. Well, notice his winnings. It's also in verse 7. Odd word, I know. But it says in verse 7, for salvation of his household. See, his winnings was to see his family saved. I prayed with many people for their family for salvation. Spoke with another guy this last week and the same thing. He blames God for all of his problems in life. If God would just do that, my life would be fine. No. It starts with, I will listen to God. I will obey God. In the reference to this salvation, the household is really Noah's family. The rest of the world was laughing. But Noah's faith was affecting his family. We're kids here, fathers, grandfathers, grandmothers, thus, thus. We can have a great influence upon our family. It's very, very important. I see a family that raises their kids in the Lord, that makes God first. And I, I see it pass from generation to generation. But I also see a generation that's been saying, well, I've got to let the kids make their own decision. And they have no influence in the things of God. And then they wonder why their kids are living like the world. Noah stayed on target. He finished his work. And that's a hard thing because, you know, we we move along and, and we quit. Any quitters here? Oh, I've quit so many times in life. I'm not talking about Christianity. Many projects around the house, you start it and you don't finish it. We need to finish it in the Lord. It's so, so important, and the world is watching. It shows that the priority, the importance in our life, that we mean what we say. Noah led his family to the Lord by his actions and by his words, by his faith, that work of faith. His wife, his three sons, three daughter-in-laws. There is... They, they were saved, again, by, by again, and we know that's the Lord that saves people, but but his actions and his words, his influence. When kids are young, you have the influence. Once they're gone, it's it's hard to have the influence until they get older in life and they have their own kids and then they begin to ask you again. Now, I want you to understand that, again, the family didn't get saved because... Again, Noah believed, and and the whole family is saved. No, there's no, you're not saved because your grandmother or your grandfather were believers. No. Each person has to make their own choice. But if we're living our life in such a way that we believe God and we're trusting God, they will see it. And they'll personally catch it themselves. Some will be a little slower learners than others. I'm one of those slow learners myself. But his actions, his lifestyle, his faith and trust in God affected that family. See, salvation is a personal thing, but we can still have influence upon those around us. Acts 16.31 says this, and they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You in your whole household. Oh, but it says that there, that the whole household will be saved. Let me read another passage. Paul also told, told the Corinthians here, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, the children are unclean. But now they're holy. Oh, well, again, that, that's confusing in one sense. Paul was not saying the spouse and the children... Are automatically saved, but this sanctifying influence, this godly influence—that that man, that woman, that believes God and walks it out by faith, that demonstrates that work of faith, unwavering in that faith—has this sanctifying influence upon their family. Why they still need to make their own choice and decision. You can have a tremendous impact upon their life. The idea of, again, being sanctified means set apart. they're, they're, They're set apart, they're having this godly influence. Do not neglect the godly influence to your grandkids, your kids, your influence of God, your faith that they know you trust and rest and believe in a faithful God. Faith saved Noah's family as well as himself. They all individually put their faith in God. The best thing that you can give your family is example of faith. Who you believe in. Why you believe in. A testimony of God's faithfulness in your life. Well, in verse 7, we also see the world by that which he condemned the world. Noah's faith condemned the lost world. When, When the world sees that a person believes in God and trusts in God, they're either drawn or they're rejected. You know that when you became a believer, there were people that pulled away from you because they wanted nothing to do with Jesus Christ. They, they wanted to continue in their sin. They like darkness more than light. They hate. They despise because it convicts them. They can't continue with the conversations, do the things that they used to do around you. When Noah believed and obeyed God... Condemn the world. There's something in them that they know it must be true. I've heard people say, they've told me personally, well, it's good you believe in God, it's for weak people. Oh, well, I'm sure glad I'm weak. But it's not the way that you think. I know apart from Him, I can do nothing of any good, any value. I need him. This is why the world hates the true Bible-believing Christianity. Wouldn't it be wonderful if all these chairs filled up with all sinners and they all got saved and lives were changed? And their lives then affected someone else? Vance Havner put it this way, if you, if you are under any illusions about the attitude of this world toward Jesus Christ, try really living for Him for a week and find out. When you live for Christ, people will mock and laugh and pull away. First Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 11.1, Paul says this, be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. John, Gospel of John 3 verse 19:21 says that this is the judgment that light has come into the world. Men love darkness rather than light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come into the light for the fear the deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes into the light so that his deeds may be manifested and have been wrought in God. The world hates the light because it convicts them and God has instilled in each person this moral conscience and every time they they suppress that they're hardening their hearts they're hardening it with the world but we need to get to them now the Christian who lives for God will always be a point of condemnation by the world The believer's life ought to always be lived in such a way that God is glorified. Because they don't want to be convicted of their sin. Well, we also see in verse 7, his walk. And it became an air of righteousness, which is according to faith. Noah's walk with God was so obvious. Peter called him a preacher of righteousness. Just looking at him, they know, oh, here it comes again. Repent. the world is going to be destroyed. They would mock. Now this is important to understand there is two types of righteousness. There is a positional righteousness and there is a practical righteousness. When you become a believer placed in Christ, you have this positional. That means you're safe and secure. God sees you just as you never sinned.